Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green, electric cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, I am Tom Appel, and this is episode 117 of the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Hey, thanks for joining us today. When you get a chance, check us out at consumerguide.com. While you're there, check out our 2022 Best Buy Picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you were looking for a new car or truck. You will also want to check out our blog for complete reviews of all the vehicles we're driving here at Consumer Guide and a bunch of other fun stuff. And, and this is important, you can catch up on back episodes of the podcast right there on our homepage. How cool is that? All right, let's see who is online with us today. She is the managing editor of Pickup Truck Plus SUV Talk, and her freelance work is all over the Internet. Happy belated 52nd birthday, Jill. Jill from Manilo, how are you? 52nd, 102, 34, 25, I don't know. I've stopped keeping track of how old I am, but thank you. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you, Mr. Mr. Appel? I'm, I'm good. Thank you. So you, you and your husband took a trip to Milwaukee. That sounded like fun. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, what I wanted for my birthday was more cold weather. Um, <laughs> no, we did not go to Milwaukee. Uh, we we actually headed down to Puerto Rico. Our producer, producer Lady B, is from Puerto Rico. Oh, you guys will have to talk. Yeah, no, it was it was amazing, and I think I, I have uh, told my husband that um, every January this is now going to be our standard trip. I loved it. I want to go back. Oh, um, you recommend? I strongly recommended. Um, and, and I mean, it's it's still a little bit not busy right now because of, you know, the current situation in, in the world. Yeah, yeah. But but it was just relaxing and we didn't go with an agenda. We just went. Right. And, and once we got there. It. Oh, yeah. We were just like, oh, you know what? There's the Bacardi. Um, we learned that's the appropriate way to say Bacardi. So all of us Americans are saying it wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, Bacardi. Uh, but with, you know, Bacardi factory tours, we, you know, rainforest and old San Juan and all that kind of stuff. So it was, I needed it. It was relaxing. It was good. And you took the obligatory picture of your bare feet near a cocktail. Uh, well, I think I had a beer in my hand with a picture of my feet and, and I did not put it on, um, regular social media because yeah, I don't do that anymore, but it was in one of my stories. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I mentioned it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have um, a long story for another time about why I don't do that. But yeah, yeah. All right, he's the senior editor. <laughs> All right, he's the senior editor here at Consumer Guide, and he owns every episode of Farscape on VHS. Welcome, Damon Bell. Farscape was that us? Uh, one of those '90s sci-fi shows? It was late '90s. It was actually '99 to 2003, and it was like Star Trek with Muppets. It was. Um, it was god awful. Man, it's almost like you're totally prepared to talk about this. <laughs> you really welcomed that opportunity. Funny you should ask, David. <laughs> what was the one with uh, MacGyver in it? Richard Dean Anderson. Was that Stargate or something? Do you yes. remember that one? Yeah. yeah. Did you that ever was watch awful that? terrible. Awful that was terrible. terrible. Okay. You know Appel's Maxim, right? About um, crappy sci fi. Yeah. Uh, series. I, I, I know you've told me before, but I can't remember what it is. 
of Hell's Maxim is this. The horrible only thing- horrible sci-fi is is better than mediocre sci-fi, something like that. Basically, yeah. The only thing worse <laughs> than bad sci-fi is mediocre sci-fi. Okay. And, what and would Farscape, you- Farscape is mediocre sci-fi. Okay. What would you term bad sci-fi that eclipses uh, mediocre sci-fi in enjoyment? There was a movie that came out just after Star Wars called, I think it was called Battle Beyond the Stars or something like that. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Low budget, just terrible. And it was it's so much fun. So kitsch factor can get you a lot when it comes to subpar sci-fi. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yes. sci-fi should be fun. Or super smart. It's got to be one or the other or both. Yes. All right. Damon, hey, what's on the show today? Uh, we, uh, despite this lighthearted banter, we've got a pretty, a pretty serious topic, uh, have a pretty serious topic where we'll talk about in the main, uh, interview today. We've got Ryan Felton of Consumer Reports on the show, and we're going to be talking about, uh, bad car loans. Um, and I, we, we've read a couple articles, uh, Ryan has done on Consumer Reports about this and, yeah, I did a lot of head shaking as I read them because there's lots of shady, predatory practices mm-hmm. out there that you really have to protect yourself against as a consumer. Um, so we'll get into that with Ryan. Yeah. But before that, let's talk about, and Jill, I know that you were on the press event where they mm-hmm. pulled the cover off this new vehicle, and that is the 2023 Toyota Sequoia. Yes. Uh, fully redesigned full-size SUV from Toyota so uh, and if there was ever a vehicle that really needed a redesign it's the Sequoia because it had not been redesigned for I think 15 years yeah I think it was 2007 which by the way that's the same year the iPhone came out think about that for a second wow yes and Jill would have us believe that was the year she was born no, not 2007, <laughs> just 1987. <laughs> so, so, wow, yeah. And I guess in light of that, it's kind of a testament to Toyota's reputation that the Sequoia was a viable selling product for as long as it was, considering how old and how thirsty for gasoline it was uh, in in that market, especially considering how... Uh, thoroughly the General Motors and Ford uh, competitors had been updated in that same time frame. Yeah, and the big news now too is that uh, Jeep has snuck in, perhaps at a higher price point, but they now have the the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. I don't know that we have a sense yet of how well those are selling, especially because COVID is screwing with everything. Uh, But those are likely to be very competitive in the segment. So I think the Jeep was probably going to fall out of favor. And in fact, it sold pretty poorly last year. But again, we don't know if that was demand or they just chose to back burner that and make more of other vehicles. Yeah, Yeah, I guess the big news, uh, the biggest news about the Sequoia entirely new platform ground up redesign that shares nothing with the previous generation model uh as you would expect it shares a lot with toyota's new for 2022 tundra pickup truck Mm -hmm. including uh its powertrain and the only powertrain the sequoia gets is a uh, twin turbocharged v6 hybrid powertrain uh, with a 10-speed transmission so 
that should do a heck of a lot better fuel economy wise than the 5.7 liter v8 that the previous sequoia had and it makes pretty impressive power to 437 horsepower and 583 pound-feet of torque. Which which should get the job done. We should call it out that is the iForce Max engine. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and, and you know, I want to point out something really interesting. You're talking about fuel economy, and it should get better fuel economy than the V8, but the focus that Toyota has put with this engine and the powertrain is more towards power and towing. Because, you know, they said that um, customers who own this vehicle do a lot of towing. So um, I would expect that, like, if you have this pie-in-the-sky um, theory of what you think the the fuel economy is going to be, because, like, the... the um, 5 MPG. Yeah. The, well, the, what is it? The um, Not the Sequoia, but the um, Sienna, the minivan, like, that has a hybrid powertrain. And I think we've all driven it, and we all agreed, like, we were getting 30 miles per gallon or better, you know, yeah. in the highway driving. And this system is not that system. It's a different hybrid powertrain than is in any other Toyota vehicle except for the Tundra. Right. So, um, you know, it's a, a, a one motor system. And so it's different. And um, so I, I, I don't know. I'll be I'll be very I think it will be better. I agree with you than the, the V8 engine. But I don't think it's going to be this, I, you know, because they're putting such an emphasis on power and towing and capability. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't. Toyota hasn't as being very tight lipped yeah. about what fuel economy ratings uh estimates will are yeah um it's most certainly not going to be sienna level uh for one thing this is uh, you know it's got a couple hundred more horsepower than the the sienna um Mm the and to your point jill the towing they are really pushing that the maximum towing capacity is nine thousand pounds which is a bit better than the GMs and pretty close to the Ford Expedition too, so they're right in the mix, uh, towing capacity wise. A couple of things though, what what Jill said makes sense, and Toyota, especially Lexus, has been using uh, hybrids as premium powertrains for a while now. But on the other hand, there's some ex- there's some amount of Toyota managing expectations here too, because the big question is: is this vehicle going to be the m- most efficient? Uh, half-ton pickup in the class, and it sounds like they're already telling us no. And then second, is it going to be more fuel-efficient than the Ford F-150 hybrid? Are you talking Tundra or Sequoia? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Changing gears. Yes, I am. (laughs) And I'm I'm talking about both, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I I confused you entirely in terms of managing expectations. But it does sound like, uh, to some extent, we're not going to see big fuel economy numbers here. Yeah, well, the and and I believe the, uh, the press event Jill was on where she saw this Sequoia unveiled was also uh, the a drive event for the mm-hmm. new luxury trim level of the Toyota Tundra, which is called Capstone, which also is the top trim level, the new top trim level yeah. for the Sequoia. So, Jill, I want you to talk about that in a minute. Um, mm-hmm. But I think they are going to be releasing very soon... Uh, the fuel economy numbers February for first. The, yes, so we'll know <laughs> pretty soon. I'm, I'm sure Jill knows right now, but we can't mention it just yet because of embargoes for the drive impressions for the Tundra Capstone. Um, I'll be very curious to see how it compares to the Ford F-150 hybrid. And certainly since that hybrid powertrain is the same 
in the tundra and the sequoia, we can sort of uh, project that the sequoia's fuel economy numbers will at least be in the ballpark of the hybrid tundra. But Jill, the capstone. Yes. Uh, I saw it has open pore wood trim, kind of an interesting uh, ambient lighting uh, badge on the dash, semi-aniline leather trim. How does the uh, Lux uh, vibe of the Sequoia capstone stack up to the other uh, Lux trim levels in the full-size SUV class? Yeah, you know, I think it's going to stack up pretty well, frankly. And what you have to keep in mind is the... Um, the materials that you're seeing in the capstone versions of both the Tundra and the Sequoia are the same materials that they use in the Ultralux Le um, Lexus LS. So it's, you know, it's the same leather, the same, you know, kind of finishing touches. They were really trying to go all out with with what they were doing. So the the feel of the leather is is nice and supple and uh, the just the overall solidness of like the dash materials and the stitching it it feels it feels good and it, it it looks good you know the one downside um that i see at the moment is um the capstone trim only has the in for the interior the one color combination mm -hmm. um, unless i completely missed something um it only has that black and white color combination yeah, interior a little too, i don't know that that would be my first choice just personal taste wise yeah I, I mean the good news is black is on the bottom so like your jeans or dark clothes that you're gonna like get in and out and rub up against that leather you know that will be hidden but the upper part of the seat is the white trim um and it's for me in like a pickup truck or a large utilitarian type SUV, because um, the people who are by this, they want luxury, but they're still going to do functional towing things, you know, with this maybe, vehicle. Maybe. Um, probably. Maybe. Um, but but it just, yeah, that was, it. I, I thought that was um, peculiar. I'll use that word, a peculiar um, trim choice, um, putting white, like, I, I don't like white trim and like the leather seats or anything in any vehicle. Um, mostly just because I'm a disaster and I will spill coffee on it immediately. Um, but but I just, I, I don't know. I, I just thought that was a really interesting choice. And I had a couple of people um, in pictures that I posted on social media ask me if there was another choice. And I'm like, nope, not right now. So, I mean, maybe it'll come. Like, a customer, Toyota pays really good attention to their customer feedback. So if people don't like that, I would assume that year two, um, there might be some other color options, but for right now, like that's it. But but everything else, like it looks, feels really nice. Yeah, specifically for the capstone. Obviously, other trim levels yeah, have yeah. a variety of upholstery. Yeah. Uh, did, did Toyota suggest what the take rate would be on the capstone trim level? They did not. You know, automakers are very cagey on um, percentages and um, what what they think they're um take rate will be uh I, and you know i don't know it's going to be interesting because previously when i've posted in social media about vehicles like this and i comment on how cheap the plastic feels or the you know the dash materials and i'll rub my fingernails over the dash and i'll just be like yeah you know it's nails on a chalkboard and i invariably i get several comments what's a truck what do you expect and i'm like okay people come on people are buying trucks in these suvs these days to be a family vehicle. Yeah, they still wanted to do truck and towing and capable things, but this is their everyday driver. This is their family car. So, um, you know, I think I think this is 
filling a need that is definitely there. I mean, you look at the top tier trims of the um, Ram 1500, uh, and, and that's amazing. Then you've got the Grand Wagoneer with all of those amazing touches. Uh, and, and so, I mean, there's certainly a market for it. And one thing I will say now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, I, and I haven't driven the Grand Wagoneer, I've only driven the Wagoneer, but I would say the feel of the materials in the capstone version are probably more on level with the Wagoneer, not the Grand Wagoneer. Which makes which makes sense because of the price points we're talking about here. I mean, yeah. the a Grand, a Grand Wagoneer might top out at twenty five to thirty grand more than uh, the top line Sequoia. I think right. Toyota hasn't released uh, prices on the new Sequoia yet, but that capstone model, at most estimates I've seen suggest that it, the sticker price of that will probably hover around the seventy thousand dollar mark. Yeah, when so uh, when is this bad boy going on sale? Um, I, this summer, the um, so it should it should be on sale this summer. Summer of twenty two is what they were saying. All right, we'll talk more about this as that date uh, that date gets closer. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with Ryan Felton of Consumer Reports. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, and I'm mighty, uh, mighty grateful you decided to stick around with us today. Hey, this is the part of the show when I strongly recommend that you follow me on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That is Car underscore Guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I promise to entertain. All right, our guest today is an investigative journalist working for Consumer Reports. His recent work includes a series of in-depth articles on the topic of automotive lending. Welcome to the Car Stuff Podcast, Ryan Felton. Hello, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me on. Ryan, you have done some extensive research and some extensive writing on this topic, and it was incredibly eye-opening. Why is this a big topic right now, and why are you guys looking at this? Yeah, uh, auto loan debt has been just skyrocketing over the last decade. Um, about uh, around uh, 2010, it, Americans held about, I think it's 700, 750 billion dollars worth of wow. auto loans. Um, but now that number is north of 1.4 trillion. Um, and you know, with that, there's 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 many reasons for that, but but one in particular is that car prices uh, have just have just kind of gone through the roof, but particularly over the last year. Um, so you know, with that with all that in mind, I mean, our, our our main motivation was just to kind of really capture how this is affecting some uh, consumers. Uh, you know, obviously, the good is that there are some who. Uh, get a car loan and get a car they want, and it's uh, totally fine. But, um, you know, I think what our reporting showed was in a lot of cases, there is some uh, unfortunate circumstances that can emerge. 
Yeah, and I want to get to those in a moment, but we should talk a little bit about the affordability thing that you noted and that uh, outstanding car loan uh, debt is now almost double what it was not too long ago. You said $1.4 trillion. One of the things that I noted in a story in Automotive News, I think it was last week, is that Toyota Motor Credit, I would consider them to be a pretty conservative lender, it has now reached 10% uh, in terms of the total percentage of its loans that are 84 months. Can you speak to that for a second? Right. Yeah, um, you know, I think every, the, 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 the phenomenon of, of longer-term loans, uh, you know, from the industry's perspective, I think there's two points that, they, that, that lenders and industry groups tend to make. Uh, you know, it's just one, a way for cars to, you know, be more, quote-unquote, affordable, which, you know, I think is a relative term, depending on who you are. Um, but also, they say... Uh, the, the main line is that, well, cars are, are lasting longer. Um, but, but when you actually look at the, the data that is available on just how long cars are lasting, I mean, I think in the last 10 years, it's gone something from like nine and a half years to 12 years. So, so it's not as if, you know, new cars rolling off the line today are lasting two decades. I mean, there's definitely been a, 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 noted, a noted improvement um, but, but, you know, whether an extra couple of years is worth the trade-off of having loans that last, five, you know, six, seven, eight years uh, to be paid off, um, you know, I think that that's a question that probably really does need to be addressed because, um, you know, lenders are more and more willing, especially as cars get more expensive, to issue 84-month loans. I mean, I think everyone saw Ford last year was was trotting out 0% 80, uh, APR, 84-month yeah. loans. And I think at one point when I checked, it was something like, similar to Toyota, uh, you know, 9 to 10% of their loans at one point uh, were for 84 months. So, you know, I think it's, a, I think it's something that um, before was just sort of a trend that was emerging, but I think it's becoming just a more permanent facet of this industry because, um, you know, in reality, there's just, there, there's only so many people that can now afford, uh, the monthly cost that comes with a four to five year loan, uh, for the cars of today. Well, uh, and so you, oh, go I, ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to interject when you say the cars of today, I, I don't think we've mentioned this yet. The average transaction price for a vehicle right now is $46,000. Right. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Right. And when you think about, you know, the, the, the average loan before of four years, you know, three, four, five years, you know, $46,000, that, that's, I, I mean, I, I'm terrible at math. But, you know, off the top of my head, that, that's <laughs> the, average, the average monthly price is something north of $500. When you get to something like $46,000 over three, four years, I mean, that's, you know, several hundred dollars a month, which is, there's not, not the average person can't afford that. So, you know, I think the 84 month loans, I think we're just kind of a, a, a fraction of the market before, but I, I, I honestly would, wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, it does become a more uh, substantial portion of, of the automotive lending portfolios of, of most lenders going forward. Ryan, I think you'll appreciate this. When I was a kid and buying my first car, my dad told me that if I needed a five-year loan, I couldn't afford the car. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, that's what anyone I talk to says, you know. Uh, 
it's just uh, it's such a long time, and there's just so much. There's there's plenty of research on this. You know what what drives it. You know I think it's a is a question to, that still needs to be addressed. But you know there's a ton of research that shows just as loan terms increase, uh, defaults increase, and the likelihood of default increases because just life happens. Um, and, and, and you know, I think when you have cars that are now, um, for for many reasons, you know, be it extra technology or just inflation, um, you know, costing what they cost. The reality is, at some point, those prices are going to come down, especially with the current market being driven so much by supply and demand being as as crazed as it is. Right. And so, I you know, I do think that there's a lot of people that are going to be smacked in the face with the reality that uh, they may be underwater in a to a much more significant degree than they expected going into some of these transactions that have been made over the last year. Yeah, and to and to that point, I. I read the articles uh, you've written on this topic and there were so many eye-opening details um one that there that sadly there is no real federal oversight to uh lending law you know to lending laws and different states have wildly you know divergent uh policies and laws on the books governing uh, you know, annual percentage rate caps and those kind of things. And it really, you have to be extra vigilant as a consumer to make sure that you are not, you know, getting charged exorbitant rates. And one of the rules of thumb that I saw mentioned was that your auto payment, monthly auto payment should constitute no more than 10% of your overall debt in a month. But it seems like even that is very difficult to uh, adhere to. So what are some ways that, that or what are some things that the consumers need to be looking out for when they're signing on for these loans? Yeah, um, you know, that, that that's something I thought was particularly uh, striking from the reporting was just how many people have now exceed that amount. Uh, that that threshold of ten percent of your monthly income, um, you know, and, and, and for lower credit score borrowers, I, you know, in our in the in the data that we amassed, uh, for for higher credit score borrowers, it was something like uh, one in five exceeded ten percent of their monthly income. For for lower credit borrowers, it was something like one in two. Um, so you know that for whatever reason, I mean that that. You know, that, that's just that was the fact in our data. But, you know, I think one thing that a lot of researchers have focused on is just consumer behavior when they go into these transactions. And, you know, I think as you guys probably you all probably know, um, most people, when they go in, they focus solely on the monthly payment. That's what they're concerned about. They either go in and they may say something like, I only want to spend three hundred dollars uh, or when it comes time three uh, hundred dollars a month. Or when it comes time to talking about the deal, they'll say like, "Oh, what can you do for the car price?" And you know, they, the the dealer may say something like, "Oh, I can knock off five hundred dollars." You know, before the last year when everything got out of control, they may say something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what people what people forget is you can negotiate the terms of the financing as well. So you know, people generally. Uh, won't look at an APR and say, like, gosh, you know, seven, eight percent is that really the best? 
uh, that can be done. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, I think a key thing for a lot of people to remember, um, you know, that, that, that can also be negotiated, uh, just as much as the price of the car can be. And, you know, another fact is the majority of people go to a dealer to get financing. But in reality, if you do have a bank or a credit union, um, you know, they can provide you a loan that allows you to go into a deal and say, like, look, I'm approved for this, and uh, this is what I want to buy. And then that basically boxes the dealer out from trying to, you know, pull to, yeah. you know, yeah. things like packing in add-ons and other things like that. And, and, you know, so it's like if that is something available to you, it definitely, you know, everyone, I, all the experts I talk to say, like, you should get financing beforehand. Um, but, but if you need to go in and you do want to use the convenience of, of a dealer arranging it, uh, you know, to just remember that you can negotiate all aspects of the deal, not just the car price. Yeah, well, so kind of like jumping in there and following up on that, um, I loved the article you did about the, the six takeaways from some of the research that you've been doing. And, and takeaway number two is uh, dealers and lenders may charge what they think they can get away with. And, um, you know, the, the, one of the quotes in there is the financing you get has a lot more to do with how prepared for battle you are when you walk into the showroom floor than your financial history. And, and I thought that was like a really like profound statement. And so if somebody's going into a dealership, like what are right now, everybody's like researching cars online. They use true car. They, you know, mm -hmm. look at Kelly blue book. They do that kind of stuff. So they know what the price of the car is, but this is a whole nother level mm -hmm. of research. So what can consumers do to, um, prepare to do battle when they're negotiating that finance portion? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot, of that has to do with the fact that, you know, one thing that stands out, I think, about this sort of uh, business transaction that is a bit unusual is uh, it's not most dealers, they don't just work with one lender. So when they mm -hmm. submit your credit application, they're, they're getting offers from multiple lenders, but, mm -hmm. but they don't let you look those, you know, typically, um, <laughs> you know, they're not going to be like, okay, here's, here's all your offers. They're going to say, here's the best I got for you. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think one thing, though, you know, I think it's difficult to put the onus on the consumer is to, um, you know, try to get a sense of what is the best rate for for you. Um, so that could be done in, in one way uh, by getting financing first. Um, that could be, uh, you know, maybe you want to maybe you push the dealer to say, well, what other offers were there? Uh, you know, can you show me what the other offers are? I mean, I, you know, I, I think I remember when I bought uh, a Ford Ranger some time ago, uh, you know, the dealer, after I prodded him a bit, did actually talk about the other offers that were available. Um, but, so, you know, I think that that's something that can be done. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think it, it's just the unfortunate reality of just how things are arranged that uh, it's, it's just difficult for consumers to really do uh, they, they, it, it, not difficult for them to do. It's just the difficult reality is they have to trust that the dealer is looking out for them, um, which, you know, I think a lot of people have experience, not the best. There's a lot of people who don't have the best experiences. Um, and that's so, so that's hard to do. Um, you know, and the, and the reason I think, you know, that, that quote you're alluding to from, from one of the individuals I spoke to for this story 
um, you know, it, it, the dealer can the the, the the terms that are offered can vary uh, dealership to dealership, and sometimes you know even with the uh, particular salesperson within a dealership, uh, they may they may get the same person, uh, two people with the same characteristics. Uh, but th- those two people could wind up with different terms just because, you know, the, the salesperson, the F&I person has the ability to, uh, you know, sort of con- di- oversee the process. Um, so, I, you know, I, I just think it's, it's, it's very, uh, li- the, what a consumer can do is very limiting. Um, but I think it's just, you know, having a dogged persistence to just really push to ensure that the dealer is, um, really giving you the best offer that they can. Or if you don't like the offer, just to maybe just going, walking away, if you have the ability to walk away. Well, that that's my advice always, actually. Mm-hmm. If you don't get a deal that feels or smells right, walk away. There's other dealers in other places where you can buy this car. Now, that's right. absolutely less, tri- less true in 2022 than it was in 2019, but it's still the case. Ryan, right. I wanted to mention something to you. I used to sell cars. I sold cars back in the, uh, the 90s. And one of the interesting things about this was that people would come into the dealership and they would do you know, price battle, and they'd get the price that they thought they wanted on a car, they'd feel pretty good, right? Because they'd committed to buying the car. Mm-hmm. And then they'd go see the F&I guy, the finance and insurance guy. And, and at this point, they were relieved, right? Because they thought the battle was over. They, they, and they're seeing right. a fresh face, and now it's just paperwork. That's what they feel, and it's not. And I think the thing that people need to understand, and you can speak to this maybe, is the F&I guy is really an agent for the lender, and he's trying to get as much as he can for them because the dealer makes money off of a higher interest rate. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think, you know, what you're, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're referring to is, there's different terms for it, but the dealer markup, the margin, or whatever yeah. you know, term you want to refer to, uh, you know, the, the lender will quote a particular rate, and then they'll tell the dealer you can increase the rate as compensation for brokering this transaction by one to one to two points, or in some cases, um, you know, I, I've spoken with folks who say that lenders will. Uh, provide a fee for doing it, and the fee would be based on something like the loan amount, um, you know, which the loan amount can be increased by packing in fees and that sort of thing. So, so you know, I think what you're saying is is, is definitely on point with you know what what I gleaned from reporting us. I mean, you know, I, I keep thinking about this. My, my uncle the other day uh, told me he was looking for a car. And uh, he went to a dealer and and got a, a a quote or you know basically got terms of his transaction you know was set to buy it but then he looks it all over and uh, they had included a three hundred dollar hydrogen fee um, you know which I, I, I I've asked people in recent days no one's ever heard of that fee uh, for you know filling up uh, uh, you know for hydrogen. Um, but but that's the sort of thing. It's just like if you're not yeah. carefully looking it over, those are the types of things that could just be packed in to kind of inflate the cost of a loan, which is only you know, which you know, oftentimes can be done just to benefit the 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 dealer and the FN, uh, for for brokering the transaction in the first place. Ryan, we're running out of time, but I've got a real quick question for you here. If you are a consumer and you end up buying a car and everything's fine with the deal and you go and talk to the F&I guy, is there any advantage 
Is there any safety in asking your, your loan person uh, to get a loan through the manufacturer's captive uh, lender, Ford Motor Credit or Toyota Motor Credit? Are, th are these more straightforward loans? Are there protections in place for the consumer by going that route? Yeah, you know, I think that's, that, that's a tough question because then you, I think there's a little bit more nuance there when, you're, when you start getting into the weeds a bit when, uh, when it's like, okay, maybe they offer a better rate, but is the best offer something like what you said at the, at the top, you know, about Toyota offering an 84-month loan? Um, you know, that, that, so, you know, I think that that's a tough, I think that's a tough call. Um, okay. Yeah, because I think that so many, uh, basically all lenders are, are, are having to sort of get creative with how they arrange financing um, that, you know, I, I, I think it's just a question of like, you know, do you want to go through the, 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 the captive arms that, you know, maybe aren't dabbling in higher interest loans, uh, but you may still get a very long loan, uh, which has its own risk. So, you know, I think it's, it, it, I don't know if it's best to, to pick, you know, advice to say pick and choose, but, but more so just to be aware, to be very okay. vigilant and aware of the terms that are being offered, you know. Buyer beware, yeah. All right, you put together three articles. I want to make sure we mention these before we break. The Big Business of Bad Car Loans, How America's Loophole-Ridden Auto Lending Laws Harm Consumers, and Six Takeaways from Consumer Reports Car Loan Investigations. These are absolutely must-reads if you're looking for a car or if you just want to know how this business works. Uh, Ryan, we're going to link to all of these. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, th thanks so much. A lot of fun. All right, that was Ryan Felton with Consumer Reports. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's quiz time. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, and I'm real glad you decided to stick around with us today. Hey, Jill. Hey, yeah. Hey, Jill, how can folks best keep track of all your social media activity? All of my social media activity? Now, every, that would be every tough. Every scrap of it. Every single scrap of it. Um, you can, what have I done? I take it back. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can't take it back. You should follow me everywhere. Um, I, I tried to keep it simple, and it's just my name. So, Jill Simonello, J-I-L-L-C-I-M-I-N-I-L-L-O. Um, okay, maybe that's not the simple part, uh, but... All of my um, social media has the same handle, so at Jill Simonello, and that's TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, YouTube, at Jill Simonello, and then I also um, use a, car, uh, a hashtag, car du jour, so C-A-R-D-U-J-O-R, car du jour. Uh, sounds good. Hey, Damon. Mm -hmm. uh, you have accepted a freelance gig tweeting for the Benevolent and Protective Order of Elks. What's that about? Uh, that was supposed to be secret. I was a ghost oh. tweeter, so I think you might have spoiled that arrangement. You broke the embargo. My bad. Now I'm probably going to be subject to some sort of ritual flogging, too, at the next <laughs> meeting. So you'll be getting my doctor bill for that. Uh, no, uh, not that. Well, sir, at least not anymore. But you can find me <laughs> on Twitter at Damon Bell Likes Cars. 
You know, funny story about that, about ghost social media, is uh, a couple years ago, Ramsey Lewis, legendary pianist, legendary jazz pianist, his birthday came up and on Facebook, and I follow Ramsey Lewis, so I, I just wrote something nice for his birthday, and I got a nice note back from him, and I'm like, Ramsey Lewis is like 90. Well, it turns out I know the guy <laughs> that, that, that handles that social handles media for Ramsey Lewis. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, actually, he, he used to produce for Steve and Johnny, and he produces Green Sense Radio now. Just a funny small world. Hmm. So there you go, ghost social media. <laughs> All right, kids, it's quiz time. I hope you're ready. You're going to hear some paper shuffling because I didn't get a chance to type up my notes this week. Ooh. Funny that I said type up and not keyboard. Uh, this week's topic is second best. I hope you're ready. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, this question goes to Damon first. Damon, uh, Nissan's best-selling vehicle last year was the Rogue, coming in at 286,000 units. What was its second best-selling vehicle? Was it the Kicks, the Pathfinder, the Murano, or the Armada? It's a toss-up between Kicks and Pathfinder. And this was last year, right? 2021. So the so the new Pathfinder probably wasn't affecting things yet. I'm gonna say the Kicks was second. All right, Jill. This question goes to you. Rogue was best. What was second best? Kicks, Pathfinder, Murano, or Armada? I want it to be Kicks because I love that vehicle. But I would. Nice. Laugh. I like it too. I like it a lot. I would laugh out loud uh, hysterically if it was the Murano. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Damon. I'm gonna say kicks. You guys are both correct. Uh, the kicks came in in 128,000 units. The Pathfinder at 104. So the old one did well on the way out. Mm-hmm. The Murano more than I would have guessed, 83,000, and the Armada way more than it deserves, 61,000. Mm, wow. All right, you guys are tied at one and one. Uh, Jill, you've never had a win this year. Damon's only had I, one. I thought I had a win. Didn't I have a win? I don't think so. Oh, man. I thought I had one. It's been a short year, though, so far. It feels like it's been a really long year so far, but go ahead. The best-selling Hyundai last year was the Tucson at 151,000 units. What was Mm -hmm. second best-selling? Was it the Santa Fe, the Elantra, the Kona, or the Palisade? I don't usually say this. All fine vehicles. They they are. And interesting that you there you did not put uh well you said Elantra, I was like you did not put a car in there. Because my guess would have been Sonata, actually. Um okay, read read my options again. Santa Fe, Elantra, Kona, or Palisade. Hmm. I kind of wanna say Palisade because everybody loves the Telluride and it's sold out. And so Palisade, which by the way, I like better than the Telluride. Um, Palisade's kind of like the consolation prize, which shouldn't be, it should be like first choice, but that's just me. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say Palisade, I don't know. The Palisade, their big uh, three row crossover. Damon, this question goes to you. Tucson was best, what was second? Was it the Santa Fe, the Elantra, the Kona, or the Palisade? Wow, that's really tough. I'm waffling over the Santa Fe and the Palisade. So I know the Palisade is doing very well for a bigger uh, mid-size three-row, but the Santa Fe might be 
and that was just refresh too. Um, I'm gonna play it safe and agree with Jill and say the Palisade. You kids are both wrong. The best-selling uh, was Tucson, as we noted. Second best-selling was Elantra. Their compact really? sedan. Wow. Mm-hmm. Followed not closely. That. Yeah, followed closely by Santa Fe, and then Kona and Palisade both did about ninety thousand units. I think Palisade Palisade is is severely severely constricted by manufacturing issues, or we would be selling seeing more of those. So the score remains one to one. Damon, this question goes to you. The best-selling Honda is. You want to guess? Uh, CRV. Yes, with 361,000 big units. What was second? Was it the HRV, the Pilot, the Civic, or the Accord? Wow, that's another tough one. Now you've got me thrown off with the Palisade not being in the Accord, Civic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say, oh god, but it's. I'm gonna say Civic. I'm gonna guess oh. Civic. All right, Jill. This question goes to you. CRV was the best-selling Honda last year. What was second best? The HRV, little crossover, Pilot, a uh, big crossover, Civic, little car, Accord, midsize car. Yeah, I'm kind of waffling between Civic and HRV. Um, but. I my when you first said best selling Honda, my first thought was Civic because that's that's a really good selling vehicle for them. So I, I hate to do this, but I'm agreeing with Damon. <laughs> so you're both saying Civic, yeah, mm-hmm. and you're both correct. Mm. The score is two to two. It was Civic at 264,000 units. The Accord was close behind, oh. uh, followed by the Pilot and the HRV. Mm. We are tied two to two. We go to question number four. This is exciting. You can hear my notes. I got uh, Jill, in the question, background. Jill, what was the best-selling Silverado? Oh, uh, shut. Never mind. <laughs> it was Silverado. You just gave me the answer, didn't you? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. The best-selling okay. Chevy last year was the Silverado at five hundred and twenty thousand okay. units. What was second best? Okay. Was it Equinox, Traverse, Tahoe, or Trailblazer? Or um, Bull TV. Bull TV. Yeah, that, that would be my choice. Uh, Bull TV, because, yeah, that didn't have any issues. Um, okay, so you're saying the um, Equinox, Traverse, um, Tahoe. Tahoe and Trailblazer. Trailblazer. Well, what? So Tahoe was redesigned in 2020. And that looked really nice. They did a decent job with that. Um, that was 21. Well, because we saw it in 2020. So maybe it was 2021 model year, but um, yeah. drove it in 2020. Jill, I um, hate to remind you of the clock, but it's TikTok, TikTok. Yeah. Okay, so it's re- read through them one more time and I'll do an eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Go. Okay, Equinox, Traverse, Tahoe, Trailblazer. Equinox. Equinox. Uh, Damon. Equinox, Traverse, Tahoe, Trailblazer, which was the second best Chevrolet model last year? I'm gonna say Equinox. Did you both say Equinox? Yes. yes. You're both correct. You guys are tied oh. three to three. Man. Two to two. Three to three. That was four? Yeah, so that was question four, so three to three. Huh. Yep, three to three. This is exciting. Oh, down to the wire. All right, last question goes to Damon first. Damon. 
Audi sold 60,000 uh, Q5s last year. What was the second best-selling Audi? Was it the Q3, the Q7, the A5, or the A4? What an alphabet soup. Wow. Oh. Q5 was the first. Can you read through those options again, please? Uh-huh, the Q3, that's their small crossover. The Q7, that's their uh, biggish crossover. The A5, which is the... Uh, what would we call that? Mid-size? <laughs> Two-door, but it's a good-looking thing. Or yeah. the A4, their compact sedan. Wow. It's a... Does the SUV trump the... This is totally my gut feeling because I feel like I see more of these, so I'm just going to guess A4. All right. Joel, this question goes to you. The Audi Q5 is the best-selling Audi as of 2021. What was second best, the Q3, the Q7, the A5, or the A4? Yeah, I the A5 was a looker. Um, but I... I think I'm gonna say Q Q5. So this this will this will be the breaker. You mean Q7? Seven. Yes. Sorry. Well, the choices were Q3 or Q7. Yeah, Q7. Q7. Okay, you're both wrong. Uh, it was the Q3. <laughs> oh. Another I never tie. See, I never see Q3s around. No, no. Man, I guess I can't can't go on my gut there. I see a lot of Q5s on the road. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to the bonus question today, and it matters. This is exciting. Uh, who does this go to first? Jill, this goes to you first. Jill, All right. according to the Washington Post, an organization that actually conducted a study on this. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Thin Mints are by far the best Girl Scout cookies. That's a lie. Well, that's according to the study. Well, they're lying. I need to know what you believe to be the second best, uh, uh, second favorite uh, Girl okay. Scout cookie. Is it the Samoas, the Dosi Dos, the Lemonades, or the Tagalongs? I have my pick. So, what are Dosi Dos? I don't remember. I think okay. those are the peanut butter, like yes, not yes, no chocolate, just peanut butter. The Tagalongs oh, are, are the chocolate peanut butter, and then you have the the Samoas. And so, what was the other one other than the? Whatever Do it was. Lemonades, Tagalongs, and Okay, so I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think it's got to be between the Tagalongs and the Samoas. Um, I'm gonna go with Samoa. Going Samoa, Damon. This question goes to you. Samoas, Dosi Dos, Lemonades, Tagalongs, which is, according to the Washington Post, the second best Girl Scout cookie. Second best selling, right? No. No, like no, just, second best in terms of favorite. But isn't so, that the same thing? Selling and favorite? No, I don't know if it is, but that's what they did. They could be the hmm. same thing. Oh. Hmm. Uh, we conducted I a hate, panel to do this. I hate to I hate to have it end in a tie and it's a toss up between Tagalongs and Samoas <laughs> for me, but I I do agree with Chill. I think I think Samoa would would edge out the Tagalong. So and I is that I your final answer? It is, so I guess we're ending in a tie one way or the other. You are, but you're correct. Samoas are, in fact, the, regarded as the second best Girl Scout and, cookies. And for the record, they are actually the best. Oh, they're so good. Yeah, yeah. they really are. They're so I, good. I got a, there's a new flavor that I got, and it's some kind of salted caramel brownie cookie, and I'm blanking Ooh. on what the title of it was. But there's a new version. Have you noticed minor variances depending on which Girl Scout you get them from? Sometimes 
<laughs> yeah, because they come from different bakeries. Interesting. Yeah. They they have um, a s'mores one too, but this yeah this I have not tried them yet, but I have procured a box of the salted caramel brownie ones that I can't remember the name of. I've had the s'mores; they're lovely. Uh, so you guys, I believe the score is two ties and one win for Damon. So very close this year so far. Right. Uh, and then yeah. you tied with Paul Strauss last week. Is that correct? That's correct. Damon, we have like ninety seconds left. Do you want to tell us about one of the articles on the podcast or on the blog real quick? Yes, we, real brief, real quick. Like uh, also, there was the Sequoia we talked about as a first look. There's another big SUV. Uh, coming out for 2023 that's a hot rod version of the Cadillac Escalade called the, the Escalade <laughs> called the Escalade V. We, the Cadillac has not announced exactly how much horsepower it's going to have, but it seems to be the rumor seems to be that it will have a supercharged 6.2 liter engine. Um, so we'll talk about that more when we get more information on it, but you can see a picture of it uh, on our first look article. The uh, my I have two gut reactions to that. One is that I'm deeply offended, and two is that I want one. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, right. definitely going to be the last gasp of internal big uh, yeah. gargantuan internal combustion engine SUVs. Yeah, this is like a Cadillac Hellcat. What the heck? <laughs> uh, so, guess what we did? Up against the clock. Yeah, we ran out of time. Thanks to our guest today, Ryan Felton of Consumer Reports. Uh, check us out on Facebook if you want those links, or you might want to get on our mailing list. I'll talk about that in a second. Hey, big thanks to Patty Vasquez for inviting me into the WCPT studio with her this week. We will link to that visit. And thanks to Michael Feldman uh, for inviting me to talk about the Tatra 77. If you listen, you'll know what that means on his excellent What Do You Know podcast. We'll link to that as well. Thanks to producer Lady B and the good folks here at WCPT AM820 in Chicago. And a special shout out to my friends Steve and Johnny. And, and this is so important, if you want to be added to the Car Stuff mailing list and get cool links like the ones we just discussed, drop us a line at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That is carstuff at consumerguide.com. All right, let's talk more about cars again next week.